Welcome back to the Adventure North podcast. This is Colton Whitty. And this is Sean Bloomfield. And uh, we are doing our final episode of the second season of the Adventure North podcast. Um, with us today we have Jason. I missed your last name, actually. Uh, it's Moran. Moran. And you had just uh, this summer hiked the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, it's five and a half months on the trail. Okay. Uh, do you know how many travel days there were on that? Did you keep track of like? Because I know I you have rest days, whether you're in town, resupply days, weather, layovers. Well, I tried to take um, one day off a week for, okay. for, for rest or you know sure. fix some gear. But yeah. Occasionally there were two if there was some weather. So, you, you know. Well, six, se- six sevenths of them then, roughly, yeah. five sevenths or right. six sevenths were travel days. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, and you have to give yourself time to enjoy the trip, too. It's not just like every day you're hiking from sunup till sundown sort yeah. of thing. You have to have some relaxation. <laughs> yeah. That was actually one mistake that um, we made, mostly at my behest, um, <laughs> was traveling really fast and taking days off only when we had to. And I know, uh, especially you, Sean, have thought that uh, enjoying our time on the trip rather than moving as quickly as humanly possible. Yes. If I was going to redo it, I would just give a lot more time to say, all right, let's just enjoy it. And that's how other people I see. So we're at Colton's uh, apartment now. We change studios pretty much every few episodes, don't we? But Mm -hmm. in uh, in our studio here in Colton's apartment, there's a book, uh, This Water Goes North. Did we... Feature this water goes north we this season because we've been talking on and off with the author Dennis yeah, Peterman. Yeah. So that that's a story of a trip like ours, and they they did take a lot of rest days, You're and right. I think they really enjoyed it. Yeah, it but it turns, was four of them too. It turns from instead of being a, an endurance trip to something that is something that you're. It can be more philosophical. Yeah. You're out there getting in touch with nature and yourself. And, and granted, we did too, but in a different way. Yeah. So, Jason, do you think in terms, like, between ours where we went really fast or someone who's just kind of loafing around, would you say you're somewhere in the middle or were you trying to go as fast as you could? Um, I wasn't trying to go as fast as I could because um, I thought then you would miss a lot. Right. And so kind of what I did was I, when I first started, I'd just go like maybe eight, 10 miles a day for the first two, three weeks to give my body a chance to right. acclimate um, so you don't get hurt and build up the muscles and the tendons and all that. Smart. And then I didn't really have a set schedule. It's I have this six months off and I just believe if I come in and put in a good hard day's work and enjoy it, it's going to work out in the end. Right. And so I just kind of went with the terrain and the weather um, to see how far I wanted to go that day. And if I came across a really cool spot and it was gorgeous, I would just stop and call it a day. Nice. That's, okay. that's probably a good so way So you didn't it. hike from hut to hut necessarily. You camped. I camped. Um, okay. Yeah, and along the trail, as you guys know probably from the book, there's some shelters every 8 to 10 miles. Right. I probably stayed at a shelter like three times total. Oh, okay. really? That's it? Wow. Yeah. The rest of my tent, usually off into the woods by myself. Sure. Right. Why is that? <laughs> Um, I think I sleep better that way. Okay. So there's less noise. There's yeah. less people snoring and, um, it gives you more solitude, but yeah, you know. I'd probably want to do it that, that way too. I've heard, too. and I've heard the rats or mice are really bad in a lot of those huts. Unless if they fix that, or maybe that's just regional depends on the part of the trail, but right. I've heard that from multiple sources, both a walk in the woods and, and just other people who have done different sections of it and reading online. So 
Uh, speaking of a walk in the woods, we mentioned this before recording, but we featured a walk in the woods on an early episode this season. And so that's uh, makes it actually perfect to finish the season off by speaking with somebody who did the trip. Now you read A Walk in the Woods, but it was a while ago. Yeah, it was probably maybe three years before my trip. Okay, um, so not too long ago, but it was. Too long. But it's a long book, so I guess you can you can lose things. For sure, but it also, um, I think it captures the Appalachian Trail pretty well. Although he only does he does two thirds of it. Right. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit, I guess, about the feeling of accomplishment because. It's something like a 90% failure rate. It's, yeah. I got, not to I call don't it a failure to not do the whole Appalachian, <laughs> Appalachian Trail, but right. like it has to be pretty incredible. You can too. put it at more like a 10% success rate, <laughs> if that's, that's what you a, want to a say. That's a more positive <laughs> yeah. um, you, Did you think that you, like when you set out, your goal was to do the whole Appalachian Trail, right? Yeah, I set out and not knowing exactly what I was getting into, my goal was to do the whole thing. And in my mind, I had a fanatical dedication to it that the only thing that was going to stop me was if my legs break or I die. Right. I'm, I'm going to do this. So and that's I pretty think, dedicated. Though. And I think you have to because in any endurance trip, yeah. if you don't have that mindset, you'll find a way to quit, a True. reason to quit. And I'm convinced that uh, your mindset of just thinking, all right, if I, I want to enjoy it, but I also want to kind of see how the day goes and kind of plan it by year. I think that mindset also helps people finish. If you have too rigid of a schedule, it makes it a lot more challenging to, to mentally stay with it. Mm-hmm. When we talked to the guy who paddleboarded uh, the Mississippi, he kind of said a similar thing where the second that he felt like he wasn't enjoying himself that day is when he would finish mm-hmm. for the day. And I guess it depends on how much you actually enjoy hiking or paddleboarding or canoeing. If you don't right, enjoy it, it would only take you probably be on, <laughs> on the trail for 20 minutes a day. But yeah, but someone who's doing this, I'd hope, enjoys it. Is that yeah, kind of the absolutely. way you thought of it, too? Yeah, it's going to be enjoyable um, for somebody who defines enjoyable by being like hard work and, and right. challenge. Yep. And, and in nature. And obviously. in nature. So, yeah. yeah, it was totally going to be enjoyable. Right. So back to a walk in the woods really briefly. Did... You hiked a lot growing up. Uh, you said earlier before we started recording, you were 14 when you really got into backpacking, right? Yeah, I've been backpacking for over 30 years. Yeah. So the Appalachian Trail, when did when did the idea of doing the Appalachian Trail come up? I'm assuming it was before reading A Walk in the Woods. No. Oh, really? That was how? Reading The Walk in the Woods didn't inspire me at all. Oh. So it kind of came about this weird, quirky way. So... Um, this male-female couple that I go run um, marathons with said, hey, you know, maybe we should do a little something different. How about go for uh, hike the Appalachian Trail? <laughs> I said, yeah, let's do a little bit of research on that and get back to you. So I started doing some basic research. And I said, let's meet up for lunch or dinner, and uh, we should probably do some planning. I said, okay, I talked to work. I think I could probably get six months off. And they look at me, they look at each other and go, What? <laughs> we just met for a week or two. <laughs> so and at that like a point, miscommunication already, caused the whole thing. I was doing the whole thing already. <laughs> Your plan was already established. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so what do you do that you were able to get six months of work off? Um, I've worked, I've, I've worked uh, for the state of Minnesota for about 20 years. Okay. And uh, they were gracious enough to, to let me have that opportunity, Absolutely. which they did not have to, so I'm very fortunate. Right. Yeah. You basically got to take a sabbatical. Yeah. And go and really get in touch with yourself and, uh, like, uh, have a lifetime experience that people don't, like, 
it's transformative to yeah. be able to go and especially you did you solo the whole way i did okay what was that like um you know you're you're, you're hiking solo and you're doing your own routine and you have your own agenda um, but you're meeting other people on the trail yeah so there were times i was alone for couple days at a time, but usually you're around people so you can socialize if you need that. Right. Um, and that was, that was amazing because you get to do your own thing and you meet other people that are doing their own thing. And there's just this huge community out there that's mm -hmm. unspeakably tremendous. Yeah. Well, and the community is, um, it's really grown in the last 10 years too. The amount of people that uh, are attempting it is sort of the roof. Or even doing um, sections of it. Doing sections yeah. of it. A lot of people visit the Appalachian Trail every year. Yeah, it's uh, like millions and millions. Right. Um, did you, if you had to put a number on it, what percentage of people that you met were also solo out there versus with a group, whether it's just a pair or a larger group? Um, I'd probably say 90% of the people that were trying to do a through hike, the whole thing, did it solo. Wow. And I met a couple people that were out there. There were couples. They were doing it together. Right. Um, they were married or, or whatnot. And um, so that's how they started. Most, okay. most people definitely go solo. Interesting. Okay. That's, I almost feel like that's kind of a unique thing to hiking. Granted, canoeing, by nature, you have to do it with somebody. Right. Um, but it seems like a lot of big trips. I would have guessed more like 50-50. I'm guessing the day hikers or the people who were there for a shorter period of time, they were probably more often with people. Yeah, right? the day hikers or people that are out there for a week. Those, yeah. are, the, those, are, the, those are the larger groups. The groups. That makes sense. Okay. I'd, I could see how hiking would actually, it would be conducive, uh, more, hiking would be more conducive to a solo trip. Mm -hmm. um, just because like in a walk in the woods, there's two of them and they get split up every day, right? <laughs> Cats is slower and... Well, and Bryson's a lot faster, and then they have to meet up at the end of the day. And their pairing is also tough because one thing that, unlike in a canoe, um, in a canoe you can paddle at say like ninety percent and one hundred and ten percent, and together you're still going the same speed. Right. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> back half of the canoe stays with the front half of the canoe. Exactly. Whereas hiking, yeah. hiking, if you're not paired with somebody that's at the same fitness level and desire to. To travel and hike hard, right. um, it, I would imagine it, it creates much more strife between you two. I could see that. Although maybe um, you're alone more often in that, in that yeah. also too. Yeah. Um, it's definitely hiking or soloing in general. Did it feel like you don't have someone to rely on? Like you are, ha you have to be both your coach, like you are your own coach, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Did you have moments where like you were having to, like you were having a crisis of do I want to continue? And then that you had to simultaneously convince yourself that yes, you do want to continue. Like, did you have any moments like that? I've never had any moments about do I want to continue? I always wanted to continue. Um, stopping never entered my mind once. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd sometimes come across people who vocalized that they were having thoughts right. of wanting to quit. So what I would do, it might not be nice to say, but I would get away from them. Right. Because I didn't want that thought even getting in my head. Yeah. Right. So I always wanted to hike and uh, be out there and go all the way. Um, but, you know, I had thoughts of, oh, can I... I had some thoughts. Could I keep going? 
after right. getting beat up later on. And, and some, you just find the strength and the fortitude to do it. But yeah, you, you question things, but right. quitting never was one. Sure. Yeah. So I guess to rephrase, it's not that you ever felt that you wanted to quit. You questioned whether you could do it yeah. at points. Yeah. From even day one, taking on such a huge task or a yeah. huge adventure, can I do this? I'm going to try. Right. Suddenly, like, <laughs> I think one of the, the most, like, panic-inducing moments of the, of the Hudson Bay trip for me was, like, the first hundred yards after you spent like, and we had talked about doing it for from like seventh grade until we had just graduated high school. So for five years we had talked about doing it, and then suddenly it's like, well, we have twenty two hundred miles that we're about to paddle. <laughs> yeah. It's probably like those first steps on the trail. <laughs> exactly, like, right? it's like one, two, three. Crap. All right, a million more to go. You yes. Know? Yeah. Uh, what was, this is the loaded question of them all and we're getting right to it. What was the hardest part? And that's probably one of the harder questions to answer too, because there's, there's a lot of tough parts, I'm guessing. I think you, you, the summarizing the hardest part is, um, throughout the challenging weather conditions of which there were many and the calorie deficit in your food right. to find the energy to keep going. Okay. So it was like a day-to-day -day that was the toughest part. There wasn't like a single... Yeah, it's just that to keep going for that long and your body's getting that beat up just to keep going right? and to remember why you chose to be out there and why you wanted to be <laughs> Yeah. And, in, and embracing that to keep going. The day in and the day out grind of getting up and hiking and beating yourself up. Right, right. Because the inherent to the calorie deficit, because you're still hiking... Your calories are going towards the actual motion and rather than healing. So that's probably the first thing that goes is things like maintenance to your body. Your body stops right. physiologically taking care of itself because it doesn't have the energy to. Right. Um, and especially if you left mid-March. Yep. Um, early March. Sorry. Early March. Uh, so obviously you start at the southern end then. Regardless, you start at uh, what's the the first mountain is like 8,000 feet, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's about, it's about 6,000. So Springer, Springer mountain. Okay. Um, March at 6,000 feet, still pretty damn cold. Cold and snowy. <laughs> yeah. So you probably saw snow at the beginning. I suppose you wouldn't have seen snow at the end. We didn't see snow at the end. Like, yeah. you know, the first three weeks we had snow and whiteout okay. blizzards Jeez. and ice storms. <laughs> and you know that cold freezing hypothermic rain and right. then as then spring and summer came uh, we didn't have any of that okay. anymore so, so you, you, just, you knew you had to kind of get through those first few weeks and then hopefully warmer weather would yeah. come by yeah i'm gonna oh, go ahead ask the same question that always gets asked of our dates why did you start so early um i started that early um most people the the majority start in april that okay. they call the bubble. Okay. Um, so to maybe have less people on the trail. Okay. Um, and then if I started in March, I knew I'd probably get some winter conditions, which I did, but you still have to get to the north end in Maine before winter hits. Right. So and you're going to get winter somewhere. And in the more remote parts, probably the Maine side. Isn't there like Definitely. a hundred mile section or so that, they, that there's the, no... There's a hundred mile wilderness. Is that what the, yeah. yeah. So there's no... And that, you don't want to hit winter there. You don't want to hit winter right. there. Well, be, you go through, is it the White Mountains at the north end that like some of uh, the or North America's most extreme 
weather events are in the White Mountains. They've True. had like 200 mile an hour winds <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it. Uh, so you made a deliberate choice, basically, to subject yourself to winter first, as yeah. opposed to last. Yeah. That's probably... Winter right. in Georgia is probably better than winter in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So what I'd think of it. Uh, so you start, uh, you hike through Georgia, um, and then relatively shortly on, you're, you're in um, the border country of the Carolinas and Tennessee right. in the Smoky Mountains. Um, how, you said winter went for like three weeks? Okay. Yep. Um, so you that was mostly in the Carolina, Tennessee area, and then by the time you're in Virginia, it started to mellow out. Yeah, we hit we hit some of the worst weather around the Smokies, which seems to be a trend that most people do. Sure. Sure. Um, because that's some of the the higher country. Okay. Um, but after we got out of the Smokies, you know, the weather started improving, and the the vegetation started coming out just a little bit. Sure. So we had broad views. That right, people who start right. in April don't get because it's all covered True. in green. Absolutely. Nothing oh. had leafed out. That's right. another benefit. Probably you didn't even maybe think about that. Well, at no. Time. You <laughs> didn't have bug problems either. No right. bugs. <laughs> Absolutely. You probably hit bugs later though, right? Yeah, I got a little bugs around New England. Um, oh, okay. Throughout the trip, hardly, they weren't bad at all. Oh, that's right. good. This year. Well, yeah. something that I, I had never really thought of, even despite reading A Walk in the Woods this spring, I, I went out to Boston um, for a wedding this summer, and the wedding was actually not in Boston. It was in the, the far western side of Massachusetts. I didn't, like, I had looked at a map of the Appalachian Trail a bunch. You don't think typically of, like, Connecticut and Massachusetts as being mountainous, but they're thoroughly mountainous in that far yes, western that side. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. I didn't really even make that connection either. Right. Um, <laughs> So you hike through some very historic areas in that little, like when you're crossing, because you come relatively close to New York as well. Correct. Um, you're within 100 miles of New York City, despite being on this 2,000-mile wilderness trail. Uh, was there, it, did you notice like throughout that, that course, like a different set of people that would be on the trail, whether you were in Georgia um, closer to the D.C. area, New York City, or up into Maine? Like differences among the locals? Yeah, like what the... Because you do stop in towns right along the way that are near the AT and you meet the locals. Right, yeah, you stop into town to resupply and you get yeah. to meet a lot of locals and on the trail. Um, early on, there weren't a lot of locals hiking the trail because sure. of the, the winter conditions, but as you move further north, you start seeing groups, and there were a lot of college groups out there, oh, and okay. sororities and fraternities, <laughs> and then the Boy Scout troops start kicking in. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, so, so you start seeing a lot of them. Right, and you, you <laughs> get into the, the easier times to hike, basically. I don't think there was I, any easy times. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it'd be easy at an easy season if you're just going out for a day. If or you're so. day yeah, hiking. Yeah, yeah, if you're day hiking, the weather's much more conducive to enjoying. Yeah, for I do, sure. I do want to bring up, and then I'll ask you uh, a related question to it. You said at the beginning you were going about 8 to 10 miles a day to get your body kind of acclimated to it. A lot of people, when they hear 8 to 10 miles, are like, oh, come on, you can do better than that. But they don't realize that, that that's up mountains, right? It's up <laughs> and mountains that, and it's carrying a pack. Yes, exactly. So that's different than like going on a walk, right? So um, tell me about how hard eight to 10 miles was at the start. And then I also want to know what kind of was your average later on on the trail too. Yeah, so I think for myself and most people starting, you know, eight to 10 miles, especially when you're a flatlander from Minnesota, right. even when you're in shape, you're, you're huffing and breathing yeah, and you're sweating sure. until you get into shape again. 
and uh, you get to camp, you're you're kind of tired. Yeah, it it's definitely. almost like you're acclimating. Exactly, you're like acclimating like to the conditions. Uh, yeah. higher elevations, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that built up. You know, I think my highest my highest mileage day was 29 miles, um, and a lot of 20 milers. Yeah. And and 15s, and so a lot of times, you know, I'd, I'd get up and hike from, you know, 6:30 in the morning to six at night okay. as an average. Yeah. And depending upon how hard the train was, you know, in 12, 14 hours, there were days I could only do eight miles because right. the train was so tough. Right. Otherwise, I could do more, you know, 20 miles, yeah. depending on train right. weather. Right. So average on a whole trip like that, we get that question a lot on ours. What was your average mileage per day? It, like, it's not a very good picture because each section is greatly so on the Yeah, the, on what that section's the like. The context. Yeah. yeah. You could say 15 if somebody had to draw a sure. number, but yeah. it's going to vary like but you it, said. But there's some days if it's flatter or easier, it's way more. So yeah. you went about the, about the same schedule every day, unless if maybe you found a, a really nice campsite or yeah. or something came up. Kind yeah. of the, the sun up till sundown sort yeah. of method. We, we did the same sort of thing because it's impossible to really plan out where the good day. camp spot's going to be. Or when you get hungry for dinner. Or you can try to plan it, but <laughs> plans are, are not really uh, effective in the woods. No, absolutely. Uh, so speaking of, what did you do for food? Did you pre-make things and mail it ahead? Um, like is becoming more and more common or did you buy throughout the way? Or I bought throughout town. Um, a lot of people were bringing their packages and having them mailed from home. Mm-hmm. Right. And that didn't, turn, that didn't work out for well because your, your taste change or you want different things oh, or yeah, there's true. packages get lost. So I just pack, bought stuff in town. So every, you know, five days on average, you'll come to a town or you can hitchhike into a town, which right. I did a lot of. And then you just hit a grocery store, even a smaller one, and you just buy what you want for the next leg. Right. It's way easier and yeah. way less stressful that way. True. And you can keep hiking. You don't have to wait for the post office right. to open or whatever. <laughs> that seems a lot more... It's so much more straight. That's what we did uh, on the Hudson Bay trip, too, was every, at least up until the town of Winnipeg, you're paddling through small towns every couple of days, um, and you just resupply. Right. Like you said, and something that it actually has dissuaded me a little bit from wanting to do the Appalachian Trail is all the, or a lot of the accounts these days talk about, like, big orchestrations of a trip and that kind of defeats the purpose right because well then you have a schedule too yeah if you have to get to the post office by a certain point and that was have you read wild i have by Cheryl sir yeah. that's we did that uh book as well uh for this podcast and she had issues losing the package right or or maybe it came late with her boots or something like that right and so that can totally change things on your trip what'd you think of that book uh that book was that book was uh Fantastic. I liked how it showed the struggles yeah. that people go through. Right. Mm-hmm. And obviously that one was more than just about the trail. There's a lot of backstory. And Did you start with life. a pack that weighed half as much as you? No. <laughs> <laughs> you had enough experience hiking to know not to I had that. a pretty light pack, so yeah. that was pretty good. For sure. So I don't think I asked. Those things are kind of blending together on me. I must not have had enough coffee today. Um, I asked, I definitely asked what was the hardest part. What was your favorite part? Like section, day, one, experience, any any of that? Oh, well, I, I can't really separate anything out. I'd have to say the whole thing. But if <laughs> I was to zoom in a little more on the trail, it'd have to be the people and the people in the town. Nice. And just getting to see all those people and actually have good conversations with people 
and have some really in-depth conversations with them and the trail angels on the trail who are kind of basically volunteers. People come out and give you food. People who live nearby. Live nearby and they want to help you. Right, Mm -hmm. yeah. So meeting all those people and getting their perspective on life and just seeing how nice everybody is to you, that's my favorite. It's, that's it. Interesting that you'd say that. We had a very similar experience, and um, I don't know about you. We didn't expect it. Um, well, the, there's, no, there's no like trail angels as by definition on our route because not enough people do it. But but people uh, come. Yes, people, people are want so helpful. To see people succeed. Right. Basically, um, and especially on we had imagined ours is a wilderness trip. You don't expect people to be helping you. Um, did you ha- did you expect to have a lot of help from the trail angels? No, I never expected it. Um, and usually I encountered it when I really needed to the most, when my <laughs> mood was down in the bottom or the right. weather was horrible. Just in some remote forest service road where you didn't think you'd ever see anybody, there was this person with <laughs> hot cocoa, coffee, hot dogs, hamburgers, oh whatever gosh. it is, beer. <laughs> Here! We're like, what? <laughs> it blows your mind and That's you're like so, so cool. happy. Absolutely. Yeah. You're so happy. Well, and it changes your perspective on humanity a little bit like there's a lot of doom and gloom in the news and uh, like it's not necessarily an accurate representative of what people are like like yes there's some bad stuff going on but crimes down like people want face to face people are face to face right yeah yeah amazing yeah absolutely like you develop like this connection to now you have a bond with the not just the trail but the people that are facilitating the trail and the hikers. Mm-hmm. It's a, a bond that you really can't... Um, it's tough to explain to someone that hasn't been in that situation where you're dependent on other people to help you get through a tough time. Right. Um, total tangent question, but I forgot. I think it was mentioned in your blog. By the way, your blog is... what's the? If people want to read more about it, uh, you... Almost every day, obviously, there are some days where you couldn't update, but what's the name of the blog? How do it's they find uh, it? jmoesappalachiantrail.com. Okay. So it's a blog entry for every day. Right. I'm sure is, if someone just Googled... Is Moes, M-O-H-S. M-O-S? M-O-S. J-M-O-S. So if someone, if someone okay. Googled J. Moes Appalachian Trail, that would come up. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and then I think it was mentioned in there, but what was your trail name? Uh, I got the trail name uh, Pace Car. Okay. Within the first two weeks of <laughs> people I was hiking with. <laughs> you hike a little speedy then. No, you would think so. But uh, I'm, I'm steady. Okay. okay. So people so. were like, I can just pace myself based on Jason. Sure. Get sure. behind him and or we go, pace car, we go steady. Pace car, right. My, my racing knowledge, I guess, it failed me. There. The pace car is the guy that is... In lead, the middle. Exactly. Or yeah. like it, when there's a, a crash... The guy that keeps the pack at a certain pace. Sure. Yeah. Pace oh, car. Funny. That's a good yeah. name. I've always wondered what. There should be, you know, you can like uh, figure out what house you're in in Harry Potter online. You can do these quizzes. <laughs> there should be a, a quiz online. Yeah. So trail name. Do Maybe people, there is. Who gave you the name uh, Pace Car? Um, some other hikers. Okay. So uh, historically, you just go out there and the trail and the people on the trail give you the trail name. And often, it's if you do something really stupid. Right. You'll, get a, <laughs> yeah. you'll get a name stuck with related you. to that. But I didn't, so I seized on a really good name. Nice. So I sure. didn't have to deal with that. Uh, <laughs> so, did, uh, so someone called you that, and then would you introduce yourself as Pace Car? Yeah. That? Okay. Yeah, my my uh, name in uh, urban society, Jason, 
never got used on the trail. Wow. We never That's used so our real scary. names. We all go by our trail names <laughs> and our identities to leave the, that other world That's behind. That's so cool. I kind of like that. Did you ever name anybody on the trail? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. yep. I was going to wonder if someone named you. I'm sure you would put <laughs> Yeah. Um, you said they're often about something that you that someone does stupid or that sort of thing. Uh, what sort of things would get you a name? Um, uh, we ran into one guy. He was uh, supposed to be going northbound on the trail. Uh, he got disoriented and he was going southbound. And we, <laughs> we met him on the trail and we're talking with him. We're like, no, we're, we're going north. He's like, no, you're not. We're like, yeah, we are. Goes, I'm <laughs> supposed to be going north. So we told him, nope, you got to go this way. So we gave him the name U-Turn because we made him turn around and go the right way. And, um, yeah. So I try to have them be nice Just names, right, not mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Not, it's not like you're naming them idiot or something. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's right. one example. Oh, For that's sure. a good one. That's a good example. <laughs> so you were making updates almost daily. Was that just with your cell phone or did you have like a Garmin or? Nope. I would just do it with my cell phone after a, a day of hiking. I'd be in my tent mm-hmm. um, trying to look to decompress and think about the day. And then I just put that in my uh, cell phone blog and upload it. Okay. Did, um, were you using like a GPS unit or trail maps or just your phone or how did you navigate? Um, so the, two different ways. I had a paper guidebook, um, the AT guide. Okay. Uh, so always good to have a paper guidebook with you and it tells you about the towns and right. the trails and everything. What to expect. It, and it's then, batteries and can't die. Yeah, it's batteries <laughs> can't die. And if worse comes to worse, you can tear it out and burn it and start right. a fire. True. Yep. And then on my cell phone, my smartphone, I had an um, app called Gut Hooks, which has a lot of the same information on there. But even when your phone's on airplane mode, mm-hmm. it, it'll tell you exactly where you are on the trail. So if oh. you lose the trail, oh, it can help you navigate. Jeez, sure, sure. That's crazy. Yeah. How'd you charge your phone? Um, I had a big battery pack with me that I'd okay. charge in town. Okay. Yeah. And I could probably go a couple weeks without wow. recharging so yeah. that was nice because you just have your phone on airplane mode the and gps still works yeah okay yeah. that makes sense yeah um would you find your like obviously it's good to have a guidebook right um i'm not familiar with the actual logistics of hiking the trail beyond just reading about it i've never been to it is it for the most part pretty self-explanatory or would you find it like somewhat easy to get turned around is the guy talking about navigating yeah is okay. the guidebook necessary in terms of like some spots you're not really sure where to go or does, is it pretty straightforward yeah it's not necessary to have a guidebook um it's helpful right the trail for safety reasons for safety reasons and and stuff like that and where, where the next grocery store is yeah. okay um, but the trail is marked fairly frequently with these white blazes that are painted onto trees okay okay and the trail's pretty well beaten down um, so you could follow so not, that not doing a lot of route finding not usually there's a couple areas it's a little iffy I suppose and if there's not many trees in a, in a spot right or storms blow the blazes down we yeah. all get lost on the trail yeah i mean not you're not technically lost but you're you don't know where the trail is and you got to right. find it yeah okay so there are some spots where it's not very obvious yeah where um where felt the most like remote um where like and you'd said that there were a couple days at a time where you'd go without seeing people um was that in the north the south uh and was that like kind of alienating to not be around anybody at all for days at a time no it's kind of it's kind of fun um they have some statistics that within the first three days 25 percent of the people who are trying to do a through hike drop out at <laughs> neil's gap 
And by the time you get up to Hot Springs, uh, Tennessee, another 25% dropout. Okay. So by the time you get to the halfway where I started noticing this, over half the people have dropped out by Harper's Ferry. Sure. And you can really notice less people. Less people. Okay. And in a way that was nice because then you can more focus on um, yourself and kind of the things you went out there for mm -hmm. and have some of that quiet and that solitude and um, the party people don't make it you know that far right, up. Right, right, right. So it's, it, it's a definitely culture shift on the trail. It's really nice. Cool. Interesting. <coughs> uh, what was the area that most attracts me is the New England sections and up into Maine. Um, and you finish at a kind of remote area. There's no one there that's celebrating you at the finish line. You just kind of end. Do you have to turn around or like how? Yeah, did... how does that work at the end? That's a good question. Yeah, once you once you get to Baxter State Park um, and you summit Mount Katahdin where it ends, the end of the trail is right on top of the peak. Okay. And so then you just have to hike back down the trail. Sure. Um, and start working on trying to get your way out. But yeah, there's just sometimes there's just a couple people up there. There's no mm -hmm. big party. Right. It's just your own emotions, and you gotta you just realize. Everything you did just came to a shocking end. Right. <laughs> you've, been, you've had this as your goal the whole time, and then now you're done, and it's like, now what? <laughs> now what? I guess I go home. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get home then? How'd that work? Um, yeah, I didn't have any of that planned, because okay. um, you don't know when you're going to get done. So I didn't have right. any plane tickets or airline tickets mm -hmm. or anything. I was just going to wing it mm -hmm. um, and believe that the trail will provide. That's kind of a common theme. Okay. When you need something, the trail gives you what you need. You don't always know. Yeah. But I hiked down um, the mountain afterwards, and then I just stuck my thumb out on the only road in the park, and uh, people started picking me up, so they gave me a ride to the front gate of the Baxter State Park, which was like a half-hour ride. Then those people had to go somewhere else, and I stuck my thumb out again. I got a ride from a nice young couple to town, Millinocket, and there I stayed at a hiker hostel um, for the night to shower up and get clean because I didn't want to get on a plane all stinky. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And then... Uh, uh, they gave me a ride to a bus station a half hour away. Then I got on a bus. That brought me to an airport in Bangor, Maine. And then I got on the plane. And I bought a, a plane ticket the night before. Oh, okay. Right. And then I'm, I'm home. Right. Home. Yeah. Suddenly you're... It, so in the course of two days, you go from hiking up so many to peak. <laughs> to flying home. Yeah. It's a hell of a culture shock. Like, it's like coming out of a, an entirely different lifestyle. And this was just a month ago, too, so you're probably still kind of going through some of that. Yeah, when I got home, you know, city traffic and the lights, it was very stressful. Crowds was very stressful. I'd, right. I had to get away from those things because yeah. it almost made me freak out a little yeah. bit, to be honest <laughs> right. with you. I believe it. So it's taken about mm, a month for me to start getting used to that, but it's still kind of foggy and it doesn't seem real. Right, right. It it's, kind of feels like a different life eventually, doesn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to relearn it. Definitely right. empathize with that. Uh, what was the, you made, an, I think it was before we were recording, you made a good analogy uh, with the puzzle yeah. about what it's like coming back. Yeah, there's something I saw that I always contemplate. It was uh, when you leave, you're, you're part of the puzzle society as you've lived it. Then you go on the trip, your puzzle piece gets taken out. But then when you come back to that same society, you've changed and your puzzle piece doesn't fit in anymore. And you have to figure out how you fit in. Because you've changed on the inside. Right. Your friends and your family don't see it, but you have. So now you have to figure out how you fit back into this world. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a gradual 
change, right? It's yeah. not like you wake up one morning and you're like, okay, this is who I'll be now, or this is how I'll act. It, it takes time, yeah. right? Definitely. Uh, and you said you miss the trail, right? Tremendously. So do you have something else planned? That's a question we get all the time. What's next? Yeah, people ask that question a lot, like, what's next? Right. And, and they mean it to be, to be good and good-hearted and want to be along, but I think after you've done a big trip, you have to take time to process what you've right. done. you do. And a lot of times that might be day to day. You can't, or I can't, think ahead too much because I don't, haven't adjusted yet and I don't even know. Right. Yeah, it's so fresh. <laughs> so fresh. So, yeah. so I got to figure out where I'm going and I don't know. Yeah, and you've done a lot of different hiking trips before. So it's not like that you're one and done. Like I'm assuming you'll want to keep doing hiking, whether it's 2,200 miles or whatever, or a week. I'm yeah. sure or I might even pick up a canoe, who knows, but I right. love being outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, total aside, and then I'll let Colton ask a question because I've kind of been hogging it here. They just keep coming to me. Um, you mentioned also earlier that you have hiked down the border of the U.S. and Mexico, but then you said up in northern Canada and Alaska. What, yeah. Where were you? What were you like? What locations up there specifically? Um, I've done I've done done a lot of the backpacking, like Jasper and Banff, those national parks sure. in that area, Canada, and then um, Denali oh, okay. in in Alaska and a, yeah. you know, a little bit north of there. Cool. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite area in there? Uh, I really liked Denali was spectacular because it's just a uh, pathless, trailless area. You map and compass it. Right. And um, got a lot of great stories out of there, but Jasper and Banff are just beautiful, but in a different way. Yeah, mountains in general, I just love them. I don't <laughs> care where they are, I love a mountain. Right, it changes your perspective in a very literal sense um, of that. Like when you're in the flatlands, the world is literally a different shape. Right, <laughs> and suddenly, yeah, you like when it. you're around the mountains, like you feel yeah. a lot smaller. You do because That's a good point. Like your literal perspective is that there's something <laughs> there that's Massive. rising off the horizon right. unlike around here. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially the polar opposite of being out on open ocean. Right. Um, where literally there's no Nothing. relief. Yeah. Um, what did you learn uh, most? I know that's probably the most difficult of the questions about, but what did you, like, what fundamentally... Um, do you think when you think about the trip? What do you think about? Yeah. Do you think about being back on the trail and just lifestyle? I think about the trip in a lot of different ways. I, I definitely think about the lifestyle, how simple it is, mm -hmm. um, and how when a mountain storm comes up, you have to handle that differently than when you're in town and you get right. a mountain storm. Um, I think about before the trip, I'd always try to plan things and have agendas and plans for how things are going to work out and my expectations of how to get things done. On the trail, that just became, you know what? It's going to be what it's going to be. Don't worry about those things you can't control. Just right. focus on what you need to and everything else is going to work out. It's just like larger belief system. Right. You're arranging a lot more for your physiological needs. And as long as those are met, um, you look at life differently because your life is literally quite different you're surviving to a certain extent and you're you're on a, a frontier of like you're living a primitive lifestyle yeah uh, i like to think of it as it's it's simple but harder right <laughs> it's simple harder but i think it's healthier yeah and for people who like the outdoors it's more rewarding 
Um, it just changes your perspective. Like I said, whether you're out in the ocean or a big mountain, you realize how small you are and your perspective and what really matters out in the woods, especially on the AT, it's not how much money you have, it's not your job, it's how you treat others. That's how people on the trail judge you. They don't, they don't even ask about your job. That's forbidden, basically. Oh, really? They just want to know cool. how you treat other people. Can you hike? And um, you meet all kinds of different people. So just being able to embrace all these other people and accept them, those are some of the big takeaways from the trail. Right. What a great message. It's no, really that's cool. kind of dissociated from your societal place. Yeah. That's probably Much. why you have a trail name, too, and that's how you use yourself. It's like yeah. your outside life is not the same it's not <laughs> it's irrelevant it's not brought <laughs> into the trail no on the trail no kind of frees you a bit and you can take on the identity or become the person you want without being saddled by whatever society says you were before right and how you fit in it's yeah. like you can rediscover yourself and reform yourself yeah did you uh it seemed like you had a lot of followers on that blog uh did you enjoy keeping them updated like i'm sure at times it almost felt like, oh, that's like reminding me of life off the trail a little bit. Um, but then at other times, it probably kept you going. So what was that like? Um, I didn't know. I haven't done a lot of blogging or technology stuff before. But I did it, you know, initially just to keep my, my folks and my family yeah. updated, to give them the feels good factor that I'm not dead. <laughs> but then it started taking on a life from people. I had people from like, I think I'm up to like 25 countries who are following this. Most people don't comment, they just read it. Right. But the people who are commenting, um, really grateful for them because they didn't really comment about what's going on in the world. They were just providing supportive comments. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them probably didn't know what that meant. Um, to me, you know, when I'm sitting in my tent and I can't move my hands because I'm frozen solid or I'm beat up and I hurt, and it's hard to move, being able to read some of the supportive comments meant the world and it helped me um, get up and keep going. Sure. So it was awesome. Yeah. They made up the calorie deficit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calories of love. Exactly. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Yeah, I noticed those comments were increasing as time went on. It was like the first the first day I think had a lot, right? And then and there were maybe a few in those in, uh, each day in those first few weeks, and then it was like 15, 16 comments. It seemed like on some days towards the end. Am I right about that? Or is it yeah. And then I, I got a lot of stuff offline. People would send me stuff in private because oh, they sure. didn't want it posted. They're like, yeah. I can tell you're getting tired or wore out, <laughs> but keep going. Yeah. They didn't want to embarrass me. Right. It, nothing would have embarrassed me that they said, but everybody yeah. <laughs> tries to be nice. Right. <laughs> so true. Um, do you have, to someone that is thinking about doing the Appalachian Trail. Oh, yeah. How can you, it, because, and this is something that when we, when we do speaking engagements about um, the Hudson Bay trip, there are always people that will walk up and say, we, I read Canoeing with the Cree when I was young and I wish I had done it. And I think a lot of people feel the same way about the Appalachian Trail. How can you persuade people that they really should do this? Because I think like personally, um, I found our big long trip quite transformative and I couldn't imagine my life having not done that. And I think that given kind of the craziness of the world around us right now, it would be really help, healthy for more people to go out and do these sorts of things where when you're disconnected from technology, you are forced to think about yourself and really like 
come to terms with some philosophy and inner meaning and things like that. And even if you're not religious, like it's pseudo spiritual. Um, do you th did you have those sort same sorts of like I almost said a transfiguration like it's Harry Potter but <laughs> <laughs> did you ha did you transform in that same sort of way and do you think that other people do you have that same sort of perspective on doing this like a journey like this was it as transformative as I think it was for me yeah so for me I had five main things that I really wanted to accomplish on the trail, five big important drivers to the trail, and none of which were, hey, I just want to go hike end to end. That wasn't it. Right. There was some big stuff I wanted to figure out, much like a lot of people I meet on the trail, like war veterans, they're out there hiking off the war. People got some serious stuff that draw them to the trail. Right. Maybe 10% just want to actually go end to end and have the adventure, mm -hmm. but most people got something going on. They want okay. to work out. Yeah. And so it, it did miracles for me and gave me the time and space to think about and reflect on my five main objectives um, that I wanted to, to accomplish and, and, and think about how I wanted to change and handle them. Um, it's the perfect place to do that because you're disconnected from society and obligations. You can think about who you are and it gives you time to do that. Um, for people who maybe want to go out and do the trail, if they want to do it, I'd say, okay, go ahead and do it, but before you go, Write down why you want to go. And because you're going to call on those things later in the trail when things are screaming at you to quit or the conditions get bad. You need to remember why you're out there because you're writing a chapter of your book by being out here, your life book. Right. You're, right. So remembering that and doing your homework because um, I think a lot of people think about the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Trail is this romantic thing, which it is, but it's really hard. Yeah. So if you do your homework and you understand what you're going to have to deal with, that really increases your odds of success in accomplishing what you want in life. So if you want to do it, I say go do it. Don't make excuses. Find a way to make it work. Just like anything in life that you want to do that's important, find a way. Right. right. But also be prepared. Be prepared. That's Mentally a life lesson. And physically, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, and financially. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's the other thing. It's a big time commitment. And, and not only is it a time commitment, but there's money involved too. Like you don't have a job when you're doing it and you're spending money yeah. while you're doing it. And uh, you, you do have to have reasons. I, I like that. And then and write them down and bring them with you, maybe even. I'm sure once you write them down, it'll, it'll stick with you anyhow. You don't necessarily have to bring it with you. But uh, that's, that's great and unique advice from what I've, from talking to other people when we've asked similar questions is, is have a reason more than just, I just want to do it. And we had a, that was essentially our reason. We just want to do it. But, but we that reason changed as, as the trip went, right? Like, and, and I think to a large extent to prove that we could right, do it. Right, And that's more, that's uh, like the 18-year-old yeah. reason. <laughs> you don't think I can do it? I can do it. Right. Uh, and, but I think that transformed as the trip went on, right? And that, that stayed with us. We want to finish to prove to people that we can. Um, I think... That was my initial uh, motivation. Right. I think it transferred from prove to others to prove to myself. Yeah, um, for sure. Especially after, like, if you've read Adventure North, it didn't start well for me, especially. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some illness, I recall. Uh-huh. And illness and uh, lovesick and almost immediately, like, it, 
little things like aches and pains, thinking that that was the end of the world and thinking that uh, like I was looking for ways out. Um, and whether it was like you, similar experience with the trail angels where we'd have people come to the river and give us words of encouragement or fruit or desserts. Um, but also people that would send emails to our website, um, without and parents, that. And our parents would tell us about those. Without yeah. that, because I thought I was going to quit. Like I was looking for ways to quit and without those sorts of motivations from outside help, like I, I probably would have. Um, I, I remember what struck me about what you said. It's that romanticizing of wilderness. And that, that's so true is we do romanticize the woods, especially in the United States. I'm not quite sure why. Um, and partially because it is, it is really romantic, but we forget the struggles of it. And I think that's probably why so many people quit in the first few days right? All they're thinking about is the romantic parts of the woods and they forget that, uh, well, they might be romantic. They're, they're also very real. There's nothing, there's, you're really small in a big world and there's a lot of hard work and there's a lot of elements out there that can make life tougher. Yeah. And you have to, I think you have to have more of a reason than just it's, it's cool to be in the woods. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, when we were a couple weeks ago, we presented up in Ely um, for the folk school and canoe museum. And, um, but we also, uh, someone from Sigurd Olson's um, foundation reached out and wanted to give us a tour of his house. And she had mentioned a book, um, Wilderness in the American Mind, um, which is, the book is about the wilderness movement and what it means to people in general. But it really also talks about um, that romanticism of, I think that we can't help but romanticize the wilderness as we start to have it, we, as we lose it. True. Um, as society away. inherently expands, yeah. um, it becomes more and more valuable and romanticized yeah. because there's less and less of it. And that could explain why, like when we were in Canada, we found that a lot of the Canadians didn't romanticize it that way. Because they're, they're like, not. why are you doing this? That <laughs> seems dumb. There's a <laughs> it's lot kind of like of in Alaska with, with Chris McCandless. The people yeah. up there, they don't romanticize right. Denali area. They think, well, idiot, what To a certain there, extent, right? it's they, they don't know what they have until right because they have so much of it right, right? so right. they and they and they have so much experience with the hardship side of it <laughs> so speaking of uh, the act that funds the Appalachian Trail right now um, this month is running out of funding so hopefully that gets mm -hmm. renewed um, I'm forgetting what the act is actually called but it gets renewed in 25 year um, segments oh yeah um, and it's been renewed it got was originally created and then was renewed 25 years ago. This is now the 50th, 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary sure. ends. Um, I'm not sure the exact date, but within the next couple of weeks, 50th like, anniversary. Like we're at the end of September. Are you thinking it's in September or is it in October? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. It doesn't matter. But yeah, basically, <laughs> um, the funding for the the National Trails Act. Yeah. Um, to colloquialize the, the name of it. Um, is up so contact your representatives yeah Dude, was there much discussion about that kind of thing out there or not really 
Um, not really. We'd, we'd see the work because a lot of the trails maintained by volunteer clubs. Yep. I mean, they get some funding from the Trails Act, the Park Service, the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. It's, it's a lot of volunteers that make it happen, and you see those people. Um, but anything politics related while you're out there, just, just um, it just people are so disconnected yeah. from it because they're out. They just want to be away from it. Right. That's trying probably to get what it's important. People go out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to get away from the politics. So. Yeah. Why we should fund our trails. <laughs> the the <laughs> politics clear. are important, though, yeah. to keep yeah. it alive. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I know, so this is, like Sean said at the beginning, it's segment um, that will definitely apply more to Sean than you, because you have done it. Does hearing Jason's story make you want to do the Appalachian Trail more? Yes, uh, it does. And I... Scale of 1 to 10? Well, it's a 10 on me wanting to do it. It's it's a matter of, uh, like, will Putting it be in 20 in. years when the kids are older? Will it be sure. sections when the kids are younger? Um, I love hiking. I, I love all parts of it. In fact, I think I like hiking more than canoeing, actually. Um, it's, it's just a time thing right now, and right now I don't mm-hmm. have the time. But I guess you can always say you never have the time, right? But... I literally don't. I can't leave my kids for six months or yeah. bring them with when they're two years old and four years old. But like I, I, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, I'd love to go do the Superior Hiking Trail. I'd like to through hike that. And that's a more manageable amount of yeah, time yeah. and distance. And that could be done with a family right. too. Sure. Not when they're two and four, but it could be done totally. in the nearer future. Yeah. 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 How about you? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, this is actually the first time I've spoken with somebody in person about doing that. Right. Trip. I think me too. Probably, um, yeah. And a lot of the same lessons that you get that I got from the Hudson Bay trip. Um, at this point, it's been 10 years now and I want to reinforce those lessons. Um, they're, they're slipping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not slipping. They just like become more and more um, dreamlike. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, further removed you get, the yeah. Relive the the disconnect from a lot of the unnecessary obligations. There's there's there are real obligations like your family, right? Um, but then there's a lot of BS that you don't need to waste your energy and emotion on. That getting out on the trail, you you aren't encumbered by. Yeah. Yeah, set yourself free, and I think what I went through and kind of your guys' experience, you can draw on those lessons and remembering why you went out there. Obviously, it's going to be a great time, but some of the things you learned on the trail you can apply to urban society and no help, you make, help you be successful in those and manage right. your life in a way that you want to. Yeah. And don't forget you know, what you wanted to accomplish out there and try to keep it alive. Right, yeah. right. You filter down what really is important to you. Because you can't help but have a lot of time to think about that when you're out on the trail. Even with when you're with people, you run out of things to talk about relatively quickly. So you pretty quickly start. You're still, it's, you spend a lot of time it's thinking. It's a lot of silence. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, do you have anything else you want to share? That uh, Like any experiences you want to share, thoughts from it? I think we've kind of covered a lot of it. But if you have anything else you had in mind that you wanted to talk about? or Yeah, I'll just say kind of a, a couple things like... You know, carrying everything you, you own or need to stay alive in your, in your back. Um, my gear was 12 pounds. Then when I had food, it was 30 pounds. So, so 30 pounds to stay alive. And then 
coming home and you see all the stuff you have. I'm kind of a minimalist anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it makes me want to clean out the few things I had and get rid of it. <laughs> clean and, out yeah. the garage, right? Yeah, like, so if I got any friends Storm or family going to listen yeah. to this, yeah, don't buy me more stuff because <laughs> I don't care about stuff. Right. It's like experiences. Yeah, right. for sure. Cool. And, good, um, you know, and to finish, it's not just to, to finish a big adventure like you guys have done and I've done and others. You know, skill and knowledge is a part of it. But luck is also a huge part of it. It is. That you don't get sure. hit by lightning. The rapids right. don't knock you over. You don't fall and break a leg. Right. Um, so you can't plan for all of the the extreme parts of being out in the wild for months at a time. And so if that if you let that prevent you from doing it, then you you'd never do it if you right. couldn't get past you, that. You, you just have to go out and do it. And like us. like life shit happens sometimes you plan for the worst and, hope for the best yeah right yeah and if you're thinking about something and it's uh kind of scares you a little bit inside your stomach maybe that's a sign that you should maybe give it a try yeah don't let fear stop you maybe okay. that's maybe yeah. that's nervous excitement in there and you yeah. get out there and do it because for sure change happens when you're outside your comfort zone as they yeah. say you can't grow if you aren't stretching yourself in that proximal right. zone of development or of growth yeah is this a teaching thing? It is, actually, yeah. You're not supposed to teach people what they already know. You're not supposed to teach them things that they'll never be able to get. you got to find the in-between. Or the, I shouldn't say never be able to get, but that overwhelms them. Right. It's got to be somewhere in between. Pushing them at the frontier. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Jason Mose, thank you for being on the Adventure North podcast. Moran. Mo oh, Mose, so that was just your, your Appalachian It was like an abbreviation. Website. Yeah, it was just an abbreviation. Okay. <laughs> so Jason Moran. Moran. <laughs> <laughs> or pace car or whatever the heck you yeah, want to call me. Car, I guess that's the <laughs> so everybody listening, make sure to check out uh, Jason's blog at jasonmose.appalachiantrail.org. jmose.appalachiantrail.com. You should have written it down before you called him. <laughs> so for the Adventure North podcast, this has been Colton Witte. And this has been Sean Bloomfield. It's been a fun season. Absolutely. Um, we'll be back at her. Um, we'll keep uh, the next season up uh, or, or notified on the social media. Not really yeah. sure when exactly that's going to come out, but right. keep your eyes and ears peeled. And again, Jason, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. Absolutely. Yep.